This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the result, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. So the only thing left to say is, you in? Order now on the McDonald's app. And you can also get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants, 18 plus. Rewards registration required. Points only on menu items. Delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with three for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. Beyond the pitch, beyond the results, we're here to connect fans, getting them to embrace the highs and lows of supporting your club because we're not just fans, we're a team. With two in three football fans having struggled with their mental health, we understand that life off the pitch can present its own challenges. That's why we're committed to ensuring you have the tools to stay connected with your friends and fellow supporters. Take a moment to connect with your mates. A simple text or an open conversation can make a world of difference. And if they don't respond right away, don't hesitate to follow up. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. Hello and welcome to Albion Analysis with me, Chris Hall, and him, Pete George. And welcome as well to 2024, our first show of the new year. And unfortunately, it's not going to be an overly positive one because Albion were defeated 1-0 at Swansea. But as history would tell you that there was a certain level of inevitability about that. Albion have the second best record in the whole of English football on Boxing Day, only behind Manchester United. So um, that that victory was inevitable. But what was also inevitable was Albion losing at Swansea because Pete... I don't believe we've won on New Year's Day for 52 years, have we? I mean, not that these bits of data should should really have any bearing um, on on success, because unsurprisingly, we've changed our team a bit over the last 52 years. But there's only there's only so many times something can keep happening before you have to start saying, are we just we just cursed on this day of the year or what? Yeah, not quite 52 years. So we've not won away from home on New Year's Day. Maybe 52 years, according to Jess Mulholland's commentary on the Albion stream today. So, um, yeah, not a good day to be following the Albion away from home. Um, not sure what our record looks like at home, but at least in the last 52 years. But, yeah, it's a strange one, really. Um, Albion players must all be going out on air and celebrating the new year, mustn't they? Yeah, absolutely. And uh, so, unfortunately, Albion's away record on New Year's Day. So, to correct my earlier statement, it's not it's not uh, fifty two years on New Year's Day, but uh, fifty two years without an away win on New Year's Day. But it did, it did, Pete, for forty five minutes. Certainly, look like it could well be a positive afternoon for Albion. A really really good start to the game for the uh, for the Baggies. They took the game to to Swansea. Tom Fellows, who we will uh, cover in a little bit more depth later on, really, really 
showing a great deal of positivity and causing the opposition a lot of problems. And when you look at the 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 the, the stats for the two halves, they're they're chalk and cheese, aren't they? I mean. First of all, just on the XG, in the first half, Swansea created 0.05 XG versus our 1.49. I mean, to create 1.49 without scoring is is quite incredible. I mean, we missed two massive chances. Brandon Thomas-Asante, when he checks inside, I just felt... I felt he went for the wrong corner. I felt, rather than going across the goalkeeper, I feel I felt like if he just cut through the ball and lash that in the near post. The keeper has no chance, but by going across him, he just gave him an opportunity. And then Darnell Furlong with that header. I mean, he's got to, he's got to bury that has, hasn't he Pete? I mean, you know, you've got, you've got Darnell with, um, with 0.31 XG on, on that uh, particular header, but you've got Brandon with 0.61 XG over the whole game. We've got to take one of those chances, and we really did. We dominated the first half, didn't we? I mean, we we had uh, we had five shots to their two. We had two big chances to their zero. Um, we we were winning our tackles as well. Won a hundred percent of our tackles in the first half versus their fifty-seven percent. And I mean, you you did the data earlier in the week, Pete, about how good we are after scoring the first goal. I think it's fair to say that. If we take one of those chances in the first half where we were utterly, utterly dominant, we probably go on to win that game, don't we? Yeah, I'd have definitely backed us to go on and win it if we'd taken one of those chances. We're far better we're a far better side in terms of creating chances and even conceding fewer chances when we've taken the lead. Um just to rattle through some of the numbers, when we're winning, we've got a expected goal difference on a per ninety basis, so taking the number of minutes into account of one point two eight. Um, whereas when we're losing, it's negative one point one. So basically, what that's saying is, when we're, we're we're heading games, we're creating a lot of chances and not conceding many. But it's the complete opposite when we're we're behind in games, we we concede a lot of chances and um, we don't create many ourselves. And to be honest, I think that's exactly what we saw against Swansea. Um, when we we went behind, we really struggled to create any chances. And to be fair, Swansea had a couple more. Um, if it wasn't being for Alex Palmer, then maybe a couple more could have gone in. But in the first half, when it was level, we created some big chances. And I thought Tom Fellows had an excellent game, well, an excellent first half. Um, he drifted out a bit in the second half, I think. But in the first half, he created some great chances. And like I said, Brendan probably should have put that one in the, the opposite corner when he went through. Um, and it's something you've spoken about for a lot of the season. He seems to be a worse finisher when he's got a bit of time to think about it rather than when it's just a reaction kind of shot. Absolutely, because I, th- I think it's worth worth saying and it's always worth offering some balance on Brandon. When you actually look at his, his numbers overall for the game, they're pretty good, aren't they, Pete? I mean, he, he's uh, uh, he's had two shots, two on target. He's created, uh, he's played a couple of key passes as well. He was a creative force, but he was also a good attacking force. And, and I mean, the, the one that he misses he does so much right. I mean, the run is really clever. The ball is beautifully weighted from fellows, but then he sits the defender down and I mean, he's done all the hard stuff you would say. I mean, obviously the hardest thing in football is to stick it in the back of the net, but nonetheless, he's created himself the space to, to go and tuck that away. And I, I just, I feel like we're, 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 we're on the edge with Brandon. I feel like he's doing so much right. I, and, and and actually, when you look at how many goals he's got this season, he's not 
you know, he's not performing badly. It's not like it's not like he's letting us down. He's not it's not like we can sit here and say he's not contributing. But I feel like we're on the precipice with him that if he can just improve his decision making. And I don't you know, we, we all know that um, Corbrand's le- levels of attention to detail are unreal and that he takes players through things. And, and we found out today that Brandon's not going to be going away with Ghana to the African Cup of Nations. So we've got more time with him as well. And maybe it's just a matter of, you know, having, having a little bit of a, a bit of a scary movie session with uh, with Brandon, sitting him down and making him look at some of the chances that he's missed and talking about what he could do better, but also showing him some of the ones that where when he does finish instinctively, what he does so well, where he puts the ball, why he gives the goalkeeper no chance, because you look at the ones that where he has no time to think about it. And these aren't lucky finishes. I mean, the one at Coventry, for example, the one at Coventry is the one, only one where he's had time to think about it and he does something truly emphatic. And I still maintain it's because he thought he was offside. And you look at some of, some of the others, the, the one against Bristol City doesn't have time to really think about what he's what what he what he's going to do next. He just has to make a decision because the player's going to catch up with him, and he 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 puts a lovely lovely ball over uh, a lovely shot over the goalkeeper's head. And there's so many examples of things like that where I I if Brandon didn't have the ability to finish, I would just sit here and say, look, we we've got we've got one of those players that. Um, He's got some abilities to get himself into positions and he will scramble home a few goals um, more through sheer endeavour than anything else. And look, we've seen those players down the Hawthorns over the years. <laughs> I've probably seen more of them than you have, Pete, have, uh, being being a little bit older and being able to go back to the days of um, like some Mickey Evans and people like that. Uh, but, but, you know, we've seen those types of players before who were endeavour get the ball over the line from time to time, but there's no quality. There's no finesse there. I don't believe that's the case with Brandon. I think there's a quality footballer there. I think there's a quality finisher there. I just think he needs to have more trust in his instincts, in 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 what to do. It, trust in his decision-making a little bit more because I feel like at the moment he, over, he overthinks things in those situations. I mean, and we've spoken about this before, that... I honestly believe we could do a heck of a lot worse than go get on the phone to somebody like Kevin Phillips and say, do you want to come and work with Brandon? Do you want to come and just work with Brandon on a day-to-day basis talking about how to finish? Because Super Kev is one of the best finishers I have ever seen. I mean, he was unreal. And I don't, th- I don't see how it, it would be anything other than a, of a massive benefit for Brandon to to sit and work with somebody like that it doesn't have to just be Kev. It 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 could be. I mean, I mean, look, Peter Adam Wingy was an unbelievable uh, finisher. Get on the phone to Peter. You know, maybe he can teach what uh, what what he what he used to do. But th- there's there's ex Albion strikers out there who were unreal finishers, and that's what you want. Somebody who who just knew instinctively what to do in those situations and have them come and teach that to a young man like Brandon because I think he's doing a lot right Pete and uh, but he needs to get better at those high percentage chances and that's what it that's what he missed today was a high percentage chance wasn't it yeah I think I've probably been relatively blessed because the first actual striker I remember watching play for Albion was Kevin Phillips so We've not had too bad a bunch. You lucky so and so, skipping out the days of 
Fabian De Freitas and Mickey Evans and uh, Tony Reese and oh, oh my goodness, I I could go back over so many absolutely dreadful, dreadful strikers that I watched over the years in an Albion shirt. Morton Scubo, I remember having a pretty awful loan spell at the at the Hawthorns as well. Remember him, big Danish centre forward. Yeah, we could do a whole pod about the dreadful strikers I've seen in an Albion shirt. So you you are fortunate, mate, yeah. Yeah, and I probably wouldn't have heard of too many of them, luckily, as well. So, yeah, I've been fortunate. And I don't think Brandon's... Well, I mean, we ran the numbers last week, and Brandon, he's basically finishing his, his XG. He'll be slightly behind now, because that was a big chance he missed. But um, I'm not sure what the exact value of that chance was, but I imagine he's got to put it away about one every two. So if he gets a similar chance again, you just hope that he puts the next one away. But... He does seem to struggle on chances where he's got a bit more time to think about it rather than just balls that have um, been crossed into the box and he's he's more focusing on actually getting the contact on the ball exactly where he's placing it. So, yeah, it's probably that instinct that he's, like, he's able to just rely on the instinct and not think about it too much. He seems to be fairly comfortable with his finishing. But when he's got a bit more time to think about it, it does seem that he, he sometimes picks the wrong option. But I suppose that goes back to... If you've got a strike finishing in line with their expected goals, most people will probably assume that they're they're missing too many big chances. Um, and other than the, the chance that he missed, I thought he had a, a really good game, um, held the ball up well in the first half, the ball back off the, off the Swansea defenders a few times and almost got a couple of chances out of that as well. So I think he did a lot of things right. It's unfortunate he missed his chance. And to be fair, that probably would have changed the game just because we're so good once we've taken the lead. So... And it's worth saying as well, Pete. It's not. It's not just Brandon. Let's not let Darnell off the hook. He's got to bury that header, hasn't he? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's not just Brandon. There was other chances in the game. Like say, Furlong had a good chance. Yeah, it doesn't just come down to your striker. Um, if you don't finish your finish your chances when you get them, then a lot of, most games you end up uh, paying the price and regretting it at the end. So, I suppose you just take the positives out of it that we did create chances in the first half and over the whole game we had quite high um, expected goals and. It's not as well, on un- unexpected assists, uh, Pete, you know, you've got Fellows having a really good performance at 0.67, Brandon having a really good performance at 0.53, Connor Townsend having a nearly really good performance at 0.49. And whilst against Middlesbrough, one of the big complaints that we had was we didn't create enough. We can't level that at, at players. I mean, particularly, you know, in the in the two wide areas and with with our centre forward, even without John Swift and Jed Wallace in, in, in on the pitch, being able to thread balls through for us, we've got the overlapping left back on uh, on on the left hand side doing lots for us. We've got Tom Fellows on the right hand side doing lots for us, and and Brandon as well. Uh, you know, really, really creating opportunities. So. The creativity was there. It's just in the first half anyway. I mean, I don't think anything was there much in the second half. But um, I mean, although I thought Connor and Adam Reach linked up quite well late in the game, but I think the creativity, the one of the big disappointments against Middlesbrough was the creativity was completely and utterly absent. That wasn't the case this time. It was just the finishing went awry. I mean, over the course of the whole game, we we created 1.78 XG to Swansea's 0.72. We really should be winning that game, shouldn't we? Yeah, and um, you worry about not being able to create much in the second half when after Swansea have scored because it's been the pattern the whole season. But over the course of the whole game, we created enough chances to to win the game. It's just we didn't we didn't tuck them away when we were level, and if we had it probably would have been a different result at the end of the game. But 
like you say, there's some promising performances in there. Tom Fellows had an excellent first half and looked really dangerous. Um, going back to the, the Brennan Thompson Asante chance, the touch and turn that Fellows had from the ball into him to turn his marker was sublime. And then to carry it forward that little bit and then the timing of the pass to Brandon and the weight of it was just perfect as well. So he can mature is the word I would use. I, I didn't expect such a mature decision from a young player in that position, Pete. Exactly. Um, and I think his whole performance in the first half looked more mature than it has done for the rest of the season. Um, he showed a little bit more to his game than what he has in other games, I think, where he's tends to just go around the outside of his man and, and put a cross in. Um, he did that again against Swansea, but he, he showed a few other options, um, cutting inside, using Furlong a bit more to help him and then driving inside and releasing that pass to Brandon Thomas Asante as well. So I thought I thought it was a really good performance from him. In my eyes he's taken taken his chance in the first team in the starting eleven even. And I'm sure after that first half cover run I'll be feeling a bit more confident in him to use him even more in the coming games. Well let's just let me just give you some numbers around uh, around Tom Fellows, Pete. hundred percent of his shots on target. Um the highest expected assists of any player on the pitch. He had two key passes. He had a 95% pass accuracy. He also had the most completed dribbles with, uh, with two, and he also had the most accurate crosses of um, of any Albion player. I mean, he, he pretty much tops any of the attacking metrics you want to look at, really, for, for Albion. And for such a young player, and, and stepping in as well, let's not forget... He was he was deputising for our captain, who's probably been our man of the match in our last two games. I mean, that they Jed Wallace's were enormous boots to fill, and to come out of the game with that kind of data, basically topping every attacking metric you want to look at, I think is is staggering. And I was pleased to see Tom Fellows on uh, on the team sheet. I was pleased to see him getting his opportunity. But I've got to be honest, even I didn't expect him to take it to the extent that he has done. No, like I say, he's, in some games he's been quite predictable because he's, he's tends to just offer that, go past his man and, and deliver the cross. Um, but against Swansea, it was, it was a much better performance and showed more, more variety in his play, um, which is really promising. And the fact that he can cross like he can, um, I'm not knocking him for just for knocking it past his opponent and and um, crossing it because his deliveries have tends to be really good and that aspect you've got someone who is kind of a similar style to Jed Wallace who's a very good crosser he's a bit more dynamic um than Wallace got a bit more pace um but obviously Wallace has got a lot more redeeming factors than than just losing uh, lacking that little bit of pace but I think it's really promising to have somebody in a kind of the mold of Jed Wallace coming up through the well, he's come up through the academy. He's pushing his way into the first team, getting more and more experience, and hopefully developing every day this season. And yeah, he's a really exciting prospect, and I imagine he's learning a lot training with Jed Wallace as well. Unfortunately, we we are going to have to move on and talk about the second half, where it 
all really did go wrong, Pete. And and I just want to talk about why it all went wrong. Um, there is one specific Swansea player that I want to talk about, but we'll uh, we'll come to him. Uh, we'll come to the uh, the 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 gentleman who um, is uh, certainly uh, not my darling tonight. Uh, he's uh, something of the bane of our existence, actually, at the moment. But we'll we'll leave him for just for just a moment. But in the second half, I mean, Swansea 0.67 xG to our 0.29. Suddenly, started having shots on goal. Uh, suddenly, we started we started not winning tackles as well after winning a hundred percent of them in the first half. Only one uh, one tackle in the second half. Only twenty five percent of the tackles that we made. But the big thing, the big thing that I noticed, Pete, and the big change for me was in the first half we gave. Swansea zero corners suddenly in the second we gave them three also in the first half they uh, they only had three uh, they only had six aerial duels of which they won 50% of them they only upped that to 57% in the second half but suddenly that was um, that was 12 winning 12 aerial duels out of 20 so, so basically the change for me is that Swansea went a bit more direct. We started giving them what they wanted, which was which was set pieces, and that's where the goals come from, hasn't it? Really, you know, um, and and that for me is where is where the game swung uh, is is just Swansea going that bit more direct and 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 us not really coping with it very well. And uh, and I mean, we've talked a lot this season about how good the centre halves were. This was a rare off day for them, for for me, Pete. They, they, you know, Bartley didn't win a single aerial duel. I think Kipra only won two during the whole game. It's very rare that I sit here and say the centre halves weren't quite there, but they weren't quite there. And it's interesting Corbrand's comments afterwards that you know he he felt he had to take them off that they were utterly fatigued. And I, I think you know, I I often think before. We we put these pods together. What what am I going to call this episode? I think there's only one thing I can call this one, and uh, and that's a game too far, because that's what it felt like. And I felt that we we talked a lot about how we've we we've asked a lot of a number of players. We've asked a lot of Cedric Kipre, and um, we've asked a lot of the fullbacks. I just think we asked a little bit too much. We've asked a lot of Okay Koslu, who ended up having to come off, and again he's another one that Corbran has apparently highlighted, saying that. He was at risk of injury and uh, and and that he needed to come off and and he he looked he looked actually in discomfort as he came off and I, I think like I say Swansea second half went more direct into us and we did and for once and that's normally playing into our hands generally but they are the one team that caused us problems going direct into us at the Hawthorns and it was exactly the case today wasn't it that Swansea went direct into us and we couldn't cope with it and they're the only team that I really have felt that this season that direct football from them has been a real real problem for us I'm not quite sure why they seem to be our kryptonite when it comes to them going long because every other team even with bigger players in their team seem to be able to go long into us and us be able to cope with it but Today we didn't cope at the Hawthorns. We didn't cope when they went long in the last twenty minutes and 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 won a lot of set pieces. And it just seems like like Swansea have kind of got the sign over us a little bit, uh, Pete. That that they seem to have the answer to how to trouble Albion in the air when nobody else does. Yeah, because I think it was only last week we were talking about how Albion had the second highest aerial duel success 
rate in the league. Um, so generally, we're very good in the air. Um, but like I say, Swansea seem to uh, seem to always when they go direct, they seem to beat us in that aspect, um, which is quite strange because you generally associate Swansea with a team that keeps the ball on the floor and um, moves it around rather than going going long and fighting for lots of aerials. But they certainly seem to change it in the second half. Um, like you say, this to be a lot more direct. Um, and if you compare the, the number of aerial duels Albion players were involved in, in the first half to the second half, it, it really shows up there because um, in the first half, Albion players were involved in 12 aerial duels, winning 50% of them in the second half. Um, they were involved in 42 aerial duels, winning 50% again. So, I mean, we're winning a similar rate, but I mean, I think that's below the, below Albion's average for the season. It's just the fact that um, we were facing a lot more in the second half because Swans were getting a lot more direct um, and they were getting the better of us from it. So you can see why they did it. And it's a strange one to see our centre-backs not come out on top in the air because generally, like I say, they're very good. You do wonder whether the the weather conditions maybe played a part in that. Obviously, both seem, both teams face the same weather conditions. But but the weather conditions were there in the first half. and also seems to deal with it very well. Um, yeah. And also, Pete, we, we, it was it was lovely weather at the Hawthorns, and the same thing happened then. Yeah, which which does make it a bit of a strange one. But I, I did feel that passes were kind of getting a bit stuck in the ground watching it, and we didn't seem to have our tempo when we had the ball. Obviously, that doesn't really impact the aerial duels, but I don't know. Maybe I'm just looking for a reason, and and that's not the reason. But it just it looked like, and I'd imagine it's harder to deal with balls in the air when you got rain pouring down in you and the wind blowing and everything. Um, but whether that's the reason or not, Swansea seem to just be able to get the better of us when, when they do play a bit more direct because um, that, that's something they changed at half-time and in the second half it was a completely different game to the first. Away days are great. There's nothing quite like playing at home, especially with Albion's home record under Carlos Corbran. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. You in? Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with three for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. Beyond the pitch, beyond the results, we're here to connect fans, getting them to embrace the highs and lows of supporting your club because we're not just fans, we're a team. With two in three football fans having struggled with their mental health, we understand that life off the pitch can present its own challenges. That's why we're committed to ensuring you have the tools to stay connected with your friends and fellow supporters. Take a moment to connect with your mates. A simple text or an open conversation can make a world of difference. And if they don't respond right away, don't hesitate to follow up. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. Well, I'll give you a reason, Pete. We got beat by a Black Adder character. Um, oh, darling. Oh, darling. We can't cope with him, can we? I mean, the, Harry Darling has got three goal-creating actions in the whole season. Two of them have come against us, Pete. I mean, at the Hawthorns, he had he had a 90% aerial success rate. He had over 80% today. His average for the season is only 66%. I mean, to say we're pushing his numbers up is, is an understatement. I'm sick to death of the bloke. And he's just... 
he's a nightmare. I mean, how how he didn't equalise against us at the at the Hawthorns, I'll never know. He he won every header in that last fifteen twenty minutes. It was it was crazy. And then and then today, shock horror. It's him that pops up at the uh, the back post, having already pulled a great save out of Palmer. It's him that pulls off onto onto Connor Townsend, which. Again, look, I, you know, this might be something to do with me being forty and 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 having grown up in an era when teams didn't zonal mark. But I don't like the best uh, header of the ball, who is six foot two, by the way, being able to pull off onto a player five inches shorter than him because. Connor Townsend has got no chance. I mean, the uh, Harry Darling leans onto him. He he's obviously bigger, he, but he's also heavier and stronger than Connor Townsend. He puts his weight onto Connor Townsend, and 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 he just basically bullies him and wins the header. And for me, honestly, what I would like to uh, what I would like to see is somebody to uh, be said even when even when set pieces are being recycled that Harry Darling is your man. Whether that's Kipre or Bartley is obviously entirely the decision of uh, of Carlos Corbran. But you know, basically, you follow him around uh, around the penalty, and if that takes you out of the central area, it takes you out of the central area, and you know somebody somebody else needs to fill that area if if needs be. But I mean, we had this against Sunderland, didn't we? Uh, where, where where we ended up with uh, with Chalaber up against their best header of the ball, and you know we we've had it today again, and and their best header of the ball has ended up being marked by somebody who's five foot ten, and is it's only ever going to end one way, isn't it, Pete? Yeah, but at the same time, it makes it difficult because if you tell Kipro, for example, to go and follow Darlin wherever he goes in the second phase of the set piece once it's been cleared and. Re- Cycled and they're looking to attack again. Then I think it was Matt Grimes that played the played the pass, um, and he was central near the halfway line. If I'm if I'm right, so if you're asking Kipro just to follow their centre back, no matter where he goes, he could wide and just completely pull Kipro out of the box. Um, when Darlin headed it, he wasn't in a particularly threatening position. It's not like he was you know on the penalty spot waiting to to attack a header himself at goal. Um, he kind of just drifted wide and. Obviously, that's why the pass was played. Well, the long ball was played to him because it's it's a mismatch, and the and Swansea would back um, Darling to win the header against Townsend. At the same time, it's not in a particularly dangerous area. If they'd done something else, if they played the ball out wide and quickly whipped the ball into the box, and you've got one of your centre backs kind of in a wide position, not protecting the centre of the box because they've they've followed Harry Darling, then you you're saying, well, where's your centre back when the ball's whipped into the penalty spot? Um, so I think it's a difficult one. I, I completely get that, Pete. All, all all I would say is though, that's two goals we've conceded um, in two away games from low percentage areas where 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 their best header of the ball has pulled off onto one of our weaker headers of the ball. And it, I just, I, I don't necessarily see that as a coincidence. I just wonder whether that's becoming a little bit of a tactic from teams against us because Bartley and Kipre are so dominant in the air. Yeah, I think potentially. But generally, if a team's going to play a long ball there, it's going to be into a wide area where a centre-back's drifted and they try and head it back into the danger area. So I think we do it as well. Um, I don't think it's particularly specific to teams just doing it against us um, and trying to capitalise on us having two good centre-backs in the air. I'd say it's more just just an easy way to progress up the field and it's one that's difficult to defend because, like I just said, if you ask the defender to follow... You, if you ask your best header and Kyle Bartley or Cedric Kipre to follow 
their centre back into wide areas, then if you it's just kind of a, a toss of a coin for that first header. And if you lose the toss, then then the ball gets headed into your your penalty area where you're now missing your centre back, who's your best header. So it's it's a difficult situation to actually defend. Um, I think you've probably got to put more focus on the second ball um, and just winning that one once it's knocked in and hoping that your fullbacks can do enough to to put off the the first header. But then for the for the goal as well, you got to you got to think that I believe it came from it felt. Did it come off Alex Moat's heel or something? And yeah, it did, and it's ran yeah. straight. But I mean, it's completely wrong-footed Kipre, hasn't it? As it's hit Alex Moat's heel. Yeah, they did get a bit fortunate with it, and um, you know, another time it it probably doesn't happen. But yeah, as I say, I think it's a difficult situation to defend, and but I, I personally wouldn't like to see my centre-backs get dragged out into wide areas like that that aren't particularly threatening when teams are attacking. I, I, I think I'd rather take my chances on a fullback going for the header and probably winning it less times than if a centre-back was there, but then your centre-back's being in the right area to win the to win the second ball when it goes in. And I suppose overall we don't have to play Harry Darling every week and, and unless he unless he moves clubs, thank goodness we don't have to face him again this season. So uh, thankful very much for small mercies in terms of that. Pete, I th- as I as I said before, um, I think I've already made the decision whilst we whilst we've been recording this that I'm going to call this episode a, a, a game too far because I really think that's what it was. And it's interesting, Corbran after the game highlighting how few options we re- we really had. I mean, as I say, he's suggested that he had to bring off uh, the likes of the two centre-halves, Yukoslu, because they were fatigued. I think he's made comments about Townsend and Mowat being very fatigued after the amount of minutes that, that they've played. Um, I believe that John Swift was supposed to start the game and felt his calf this morning then he was named on the bench because they thought they could get some minutes out of him he then went to warm up at half time and felt it again so he's obviously feeling fatigued they they've obviously got the injury to Jed Wallace which again from what Jed has said is is fatigue based I mean it's as I say and then we've lost Sarmiento this morning he's he's gone back Fortunately, we're not losing Brandon Thomas-Asante, but we are losing Grady Dean Carner and Semi Ajayi. Uh, we're obviously still without Mazur and DK, although DK is getting closer and closer, fortunately. But we, we I mean, even even sort of more fringe type players, I, I think I, I think there's probably a feeling that Adam Reach isn't quite ready to start games yet. Martin Kelly's not back in the frame. I mean, the, the, these are guys that, you know, you wouldn't have necessarily expected to play a lot of football, but they are their bodies, their options. Eric Peters hasn't started a game for months, so where his fitness is at, I'm I'm not sure. We've we've just ended up going back and back and back to the well with the same players and I suppose I mean, especially when you look at the changes we had to had to make second half, Pete, changing both the centre halves, putting um, uh, putting Ajayi and Yukoslu as the centre backs, and then having to bring uh, Yukoslu off because he was he was pretty much done throwing Peters in there, having to play Pippa as an and as attacking central midfielder, you know, throwing Chalaber on, who's not the most attacking player. I mean, there was no attacking options on that bench other than a young kid who's who's never kicked a ball in anger in senior football for us. So. I mean to say his options are limited at the moment is, is understating it to a, to the nth degree. I mean, we, as I say, fortunate that Brandon's not going going away. But regardless of where DK is, 
we do need to replace Sarmiento. We we need another option in there. I mean, I don't know how big a loss you you feel Sarmiento is at this at this stage. He, uh, my personal opinion is that we certainly didn't see the best of him, and I'm I'm not sure whether he was quite the right player for the for the way for the way we play. To be honest with you, I think I think he was he was quite expressive but maybe not quite as disciplined as as we would as we would need he obviously was always going to have moments of brilliance like he had at cardiff but was he ever going to contribute with the kind of consistency that we need i'm not sure he was but when you look at the changes today you just see how how stretched our squad is when you've got players picking up fatigue injuries you're having to bring off players who've played a lot of minutes like the center backs like your Koslu. you've got john swift who can't even get through a halftime warm up without pulling up. You've got Jed Wallace who just pulls up because of the sheer volume of minutes that he's had to had had to put his body through in the last game against Leeds and then misses out today. We're stretched really, really thin, aren't we? Yeah, and I think Sam will be a big loss because we're stretched really thin, and it's a bit disappointing the timing of it as well because I f- I felt like he was growing into um, the Albion squad, the Albion team, and. I think he'd matured a lot in terms of his defensive discipline. Um, he was putting in a lot more work and wasn't as naive as he, he had been in his tackles when you compare him to the recent games in Samia. If you compare them to um, to his Blackburn debut, the more he played, the more he would have just settled into it and he'd have used his flair in the in the right moments whilst also helping us to retain the ball like we we tried to. So yeah, I think I definitely think it'll be a big miss. I don't think we saw the best of him, but I think that probably would have come if we'd seen a bit more of him. You find the timing a little bit a little bit odd, Pete, because he almost certainly would have played today, and it, it, it seems from Deserby's comments that he's not been recalled to play for Brighton because it, it, just just to let anybody know, if he plays for Brighton, he can't play for anybody else uh, during this season because he will have played. You can be you can be registered for three clubs, but you could only appear for two, according to FIFA regulations. So if he plays for Brighton. After going back there, he, he he the only club he could possibly go on loan to is us. So the suggestion from Deserby seems to be that he wants him to go somewhere else and get more minutes. But he probably would have played ninety minutes today. So why not let him play and start today, and then take him back after the game? As opposed to, I mean, from from Jez in the commentary, the suggestion was that. That they that they found out yesterday. They found out a day before the game, which is why he then didn't travel to Wales. It just seems a strange one. It's it 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 seems like you know Deserby's almost it almost seems like he spited us a little bit. He's he's nicked a player off us who definitely would have would have played some part in Wales when he could have let him play and then took him back this week and loaned him somewhere else. I just find it odd. Yeah, I mean, there's a bit of a strange one. Because I think I've also seen um, quotes from Desabri that uh, he's planning. He thinks um, Samantha will be loaned out again. Brighton play well at the time of recording tomorrow, the day after we play Swansea, so that's uh, Tuesday. Um, so whether it's in time for that to to make the match squad, I'm not entirely sure what the rules are about. Is about him actually getting on the pitch and playing. He's only allowed to do that for two clubs, or he's only allowed to appear in match day squads for two clubs. Yeah, I'm not. Um, I think I, I think it's I think it is play, but nonetheless, I mean, if he's he, he's surely not going to put him on the bench if he doesn't intend to use him. So he, he's he's surely either only going to include him 
if he, if he includes him for Brighton, you you've got to believe that he doesn't want to doesn't want to send him back out on loan. But that's not what he said. He said he does want to send him back out on loan. So you wouldn't have thought that that he will be in the Brighton squad for their game against um, I think it's West Ham on Tuesday, isn't it? As I say, we, by the time people listen to this, we might have got proved wrong. But but given what he said, it doesn't seem like that's what he'll do. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if he'll just include him anyway because looking at Brighton's injury lists, it's a similar length to ours, to be honest, maybe even a bit longer, and a lot of injuries in attacking player in attacking areas. So I don't know if it's brought him back as even backup to sit on the bench and say another couple of Brighton players go off injured, then then maybe it'll force his hand. But yeah, it's a really strange one because if he is going to go back out on loan, then then you'd have thought another minutes would be good for him, unless Brighton are worried about injuries. I don't know. There's so many there's so many aspects that you may think. Maybe that's why, but there's nothing really that stands out as an actual reason to recall him. Um, and we certainly missed him, like you were saying, because we're so, at the minute, we've got a lot of injuries, a lot of players out. And even at the start of the season, we didn't have the biggest squad. So, like I say, Mo and Yakuzlu, I think they've started all four of the um, Christmas games. And it's just kind of been, Coran's been taking turns for which one of those two gets subbed off around about the 75th, 80th minute. So, it's not even much rest in in each individual game when they are subbed off. Um, and the same for Brandon Thompson-Sante. I think he's only missed five minutes out of those four games that we've played in the past 10 days. So, And it's it's got to be said as well, Pete, the Leeds game was also... It was another level of intensity, wasn't it? I, I don't think it. I don't think it's a lot. It's a massive surprise that where we saw the fatigue really kick in was the game after Leeds because it wasn't. That wasn't just. That wasn't just another ninety minutes, was it? That was the the, the amount of mental and physical effort that it took to get that game over the line was. It, it was probably like playing a game and a half for a lot of those players. Yeah, absolutely. That was incredibly intense game that went on for the four ninety minutes was and I've been lacking any control of the ball for probably the last thirty, so it makes it even more difficult on the mind, on the body. You've not got any periods where you pass the ball around a bit and, and kind of get a couple of moments rest. So that Leeds game was was really intense and it's always an intense um period of games because they just come you should have games, you know, every few days and to play for in the last days um, and a lot of our players having to play close to every minute of those games. It's noticeable that the Premier League don't put their put their players through the, the these uh, this amount of games. I know I know obviously we've got more games in the championship but it's it's noticeable that it, over the last week of 2023 into the first week of 2024 where the EFL have played two full match days that the Premier League have looked after their players and have only played one full match day they've spread the spread the games across um across pre new year into new year and yet they're the ones with the big squads they're the ones with the money they're the ones who are able to rotate and yet and yet we just flog our players um, and like i say i real i realize that we've we've got to get you know all these uh, all these match days in i realize we've got to get 40, 46 games in per team instead of um, instead of the Premier League having to get in thirty eight. But nonetheless, I still don't think that that, that you necessarily need to play, um, you know, four games in ten days. No, and it's yeah, it's it's one of those that 
it makes it even more difficult for sides that have got very small squads. I mean, I don't think too many championship clubs are blessed with big squads because they just can't afford to. But also, I think Albion have probably got one of the, the most depleted squads in the championship. And it's just, it's just extremely difficult when you have to play that much, that many games in such a short period. You're always going to pick up um, injuries. And, and I'm sure the managers of the clubs in the championship aren't particularly happy about the the fixture list because I'm sure they're going into that period kind of half expecting players to pull up and, and have to be taken off and then missing games. Um, and yeah, like I said, for, for Albion, when we started the season with a pretty slim squad, we uh, we went into the new year looking at a, a squad which is you know basically down to its bones. Absolutely. And Pete, I think it's fair to say that uh, for that for that very reason, we obviously move on to to the FA Cup in our next game, and it's kind of important that we win that game, isn't it? I, I, I'm I'm sure we will. It's a bit of a quandary. It's it it, it it's there's a double edged sword going on here. If I want to uh, throw around any more phrases, um, but the one the reason I'm saying this is because on the one hand. It's an opportunity to rest players after an incredibly intense period on Sunday against Aldershot. And I'm sure it will be a much-changed Albion team. also seems to be a bit of confusion as to whether or not we will have the AFCON players for this game. Jez said on commentary that he wasn't entirely sure. I've had somebody else uh, say to me since then that they believe the players have to go on Sunday, but they're not sure when on Sunday they have to go. So they're not sure whether they can play our game and then report for international duty or whether they have to report for, uh, beforehand. So we've still got no idea whether we're going to have a Jai and, uh, and Grady for, for for Sunday. And I think somebody, somebody probably needs to clarify that point. But the reason I say, on the one hand, you want to change the team because obviously players look exhausted. But on the other hand, if we get through, it calls off the Plymouth game, which means it's one less league game to play without your AFCON players, without Ajay and Grady Dingana. It's also one more game towards getting people like Maja back, maybe Swift and Wallace, maybe DK. We don't know where they're going to be at that, at that particular point. I mean, it's worth saying that it, of, of, if... Both us and Plymouth lose our FA Cup third round game. It will be one heck of an upset because Plymouth are playing Sutton, who are second bottom in the EFL, and obviously we're playing Aldershot, who are eighth in the National League. So if we, if we were to both lose those games, let's just say I think we'd be fairly well up on match of the day. Let's let, let's put it that way. Um, so I don't think there's. I think realistically, it's likely that the game with Plymouth will get called off, which does massively benefit us. So. It's an interesting one, isn't it, Pete? Because on the one hand, you probably want to rotate the squad, but on the other hand, you do want to get through because it is a huge benefit getting that game called off whilst we still will have players away on African Cup of Nations duty. Yeah, you'd imagine there'll be a fair bit of squad rotation for the for the FA Cup game um, because players need rest, and it's probably a good time to do it. And we've been quite lucky that we've drawn a team that's a few divisions below us. You still, still got to obviously respect your opposition, but it's a it's a game that we're going to be very strong favourites in. And I definitely wouldn't be against Corbran bringing in a few of the, the youth prospects into the starting 11 and giving them a chance more so to, to rest the the regular starters because they've had such a period, uh, such a busy period and we're already seeing injuries stack up. Um, usually I'd, 
I'd like to see us progress in the FA Cup. Um, and I still would this season, but I think with the state of the squad that we're, we've got at the minute and, you know, the situation with all the injuries and, and with the league position we're in at the minute as well, we've, we've got a, an opportunity here to make the playoffs come the end of the season. Um, I think we've got to focus on the league more than the FA Cup. Um, I don't think we should just disregard the FA Cup, but I do believe that we should use that fixture as a chance to rest some key players and, and allow them to have a week off, a week off of a match day. Well, yeah, hope that we can have our, our league fixture against uh, Plymouth. I think you said it was. Uh, hopefully, we can have that postponed and um, therefore give players a bit more, bit bit more time to recover and get back to full fitness. And hopefully, by the time that fixture comes around again, we'll have a bit of a a bit more depth in the squad with players coming back from injuries. Absolutely, and we will be back to talk about that older shot game after it uh, after it has occurred. <laughs> quite quite, how much data we'll be able to get our hands on for that game, uh, I think, remains to be seen. It can it, it can be a little bit uh, conspicuous by its absence sometimes for some of the FA Cup games, but nonetheless, you know, Pete and I, we will give it our best shot, and we we'll we'll find it from somewhere. Don't you worry about that. But until then, thanks for listening and. Up the baggies. The Talksport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with Free for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. We understand that the journey as a supporter isn't always smooth sailing, but rest assured you're not alone. There's a vast network of fellow fans who share your passion and may be experiencing similar challenges. Honesty is key in any relationship. If your friend asks you how you are feeling, tell them honestly. If you're going through a difficult time, let them know. Opening up about how you are feeling can really make a difference. After all, they are your mates for a reason. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. Albion have certainly been sharing the goals around this season. They're well into double figures now for different championship goal scorers. So why not take a leaf out of their book and do some sharing of your own with a McNugget share box? Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. You in? At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.